if you guys can take your memory back about two years to Hurricane Harvey time, I don't know what you were doing a night or two before that storm came, but I knew that I had to get some water because they were saying we might have to stay in our house for several days. And so I went to HEB up here on Fairmont to buy some water. They were out. Drove down to the Randalls on Clear Lake uh, City Boulevard down there. They were out. Finally found some water in a store and took it home. But when that was over, I said, I'm never going to make that mistake again. I'm never going to be out of water. So I want to show, show you guys a picture of a secret room in my house where I keep the water. There it is right there. And if we ever have a problem, you just call me and I'll make you a good deal on one of those cases of water. But from that experience, I learned a very important lesson. I would rather be ready than have to get ready. And nowhere is that statement more true than when it comes to the rapture of the church. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, I want us to begin by looking at a verse in chapter number 1 where Jesus gives us the outline for the entire book of Revelation in one verse. Revelation chapter number 1 and in verse number 19. Jesus says to the Apostle John, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And so the outline to Revelation falls nicely into three categories. He said, John, write down the things which you have seen. What had he seen? He had seen a vision of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last Sunday morning. John wrote that down. Then Jesus said, John, after you've done that, I want you to write down the things that are. What is happening right now? And we read about those things in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. John, or Jesus rather, told John what to write to the seven churches of that day, the seven dominant churches there in Asia Minor. And so that was all written down. And then Jesus said, John, then I want you to write about the things which will take place after this. I want you to write about future events. And that's what the majority of this book is about. Now, as I've been preparing these messages and thinking about the best way to handle this, I have two options today. Either we can start with chapter 2, which would be the logical place for us to go, and for the next seven Sunday mornings, I could preach a sermon on each of the seven churches in Revelation. And I had originally planned on doing that, but I thought, if I do that now, it's going to slow this series down, and it may take some of the momentum out as we're thinking about end times. And so what I want to do is to come back at the end of our study of Revelation sometime next year and do seven sermons on these seven churches. And basically we'll be thinking, in light of all we've learned in Revelation, how are we doing? How is our church doing? And so we're not going to deal with the seven churches now. We're going to pick up today in chapter number 4, where John is continuing to have these visions. And he has now a very special vision of heaven and he has caught up to meet the Lord there. So in Revelation chapter 4, let's just begin in verse number 1. John said, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, John said, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And so what we have here in these two verses is a picture, a description of John being taken from earth up to heaven. 
It is very similar to what will happen one day when you and I as Christians are taken from the earth up to heaven in an event known as the rapture of the church. Now, it's very interesting. We are living in a, in a dispensation or a season of time known as the church age. The age of grace, we could call it. It began in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt the hearts of all the believers. And the church age will last until the church is taken up out of the earth, until the rapture of the church. In the Greek language, the word used uh, is harpazo, to be caught up. The Latin word is the word rapto, and it literally means to be carried away with force. And so the Bible teaches that there is coming a day. We don't know when. It could be later on today. It could be before I finish this sermon. It could be next week. It could be next month. It may be three years from now. It may be longer than that. We don't know. But there's coming a day when all of us who are saved are going to be taken by force out of this earth. We'll bypass the death experience and we'll be taken immediately to heaven to be with God. You say, John, do you really believe in the rapture? Do you believe that seems kind of supernatural or fanatical or kind of way out there? Well, it is way out there. It's way out there and way up there because we'll be taken to heaven. But yes, I do believe in it. I believe in it because the Bible teaches it, and I believe in it because in the Bible we read about other people who have already been raptured, who have already been taken away from earth to heaven by force. For example, we read about a man in the book of Genesis named Enoch. And in Genesis chapter 5, in verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. That is, God took Enoch to heaven, and he never had to die. In 2 Kings chapter 11, we read about a man named Elijah. And one day, he and his assistant, Elisha, were walking along together, having a nice conversation together. And the Bible says a chariot of fire came down from heaven. It took Elijah, and it caught him by force, and it took him up to heaven, and Elijah never had to die. There's a sense in which Jesus himself was raptured. Now, he did die, and he rose from the dead, but after that, he, we know it as the ascension when he was taken back to heaven, but you can think of that somewhat like a rapture. Let me read you this in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, here it is again, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so there is a sense, it's different, but there is a sense in which after the resurrection, Jesus was taken up to heaven. He just was lifted up by the power of God, and he was... Uh, immediately home and he was immediately in heaven the apostle john here in the scripture this morning a very similar experience he looks up he sees heaven the door is open to heaven he hears a voice saying come up here and now john is taken up into heaven and he's able to see what's going on in heaven and he's able to see future events it is an absolutely amazing thing and something that one day will happen on this earth. I want you just to imagine that. And I know we've probably seen movies or video clips about the rapture. Many of you have read the Left Behind series, and so some of you are very familiar with this. But just use your imagination today and play like if it happened today. 
In, in, in the United States of America alone, millions of people in restaurants, in churches, at ball games, in their homes, in movies, all, everywhere they might be, when this event happens, immediately we'll be taken up to be with God in heaven. Others who are not saved, they're going to be left behind, and they will begin this seven-year period of great tribulation on the earth where everything is going to come loose. Uh, the world, as we know it, will completely burn up and obliterate and fall apart. At the end of those seven years, Jesus will come back to the earth, and he will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and for a thousand years he'll rule the earth. And so when we think about the rapture of the church, I think the best way to think about it is it's phase one of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We talk about the second coming. Remember, the first coming of Jesus was when he came to Bethlehem. He was born there in Bethlehem. The second coming of Jesus, though, has an A and a B. First, the rapture of the church. One day, we'll be caught up, we'll meet the Lord in the air, and He'll take us to heaven. And then, at the end of seven years, He will leave heaven, we will follow Him out of heaven, He'll come back to this earth, and that's the B part, the second coming to the earth, and He will set up His millennial reign. Now, Jesus Himself spoke of the rapture. He didn't use the word, but He described it in John chapter 14. We're familiar with that passage, Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. We know that. We quote it at funerals. We hear it sometimes even on television. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then listen to what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I will come again and take you by force to be with me where I am. Clearly, that's a reference to the rapture of the church. Now, turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because in this passage, we have the longest teaching in all of Scripture on this future event. Again, we don't know when it will happen. Only God knows. It could happen any moment. No, there are no signs or nothing else has to happen before this can happen. And I think so many of us who've grown up in the church, we've been hearing about the rapture since we were kids. And it hasn't happened. And I think it's just easy sometimes to think, well, if it hasn't happened by now, maybe it won't happen. No, it's going to happen. And it may well happen in our lifetimes. Now, you're in 1 Thessalonians 4, and I'm going to join you there in just a moment. But jot this reference down out of 1 Corinthians 15. Because I want to read you two verses in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52 where Paul, again, talks about the rapture. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery that is a hidden truth. Let me say this about the rapture. It was not something that had really been taught up until this point. It had been uh, veiled. It was a hidden truth. It was a mystery. And now God is revealing it. And here's how Paul describes it. He says, We shall not all sleep. That word sleep in the Bible talks about death. Paul said, You need to understand, not everybody's going to die. There is a generation of Christians out there who will never taste death. No, what's going to happen? We'll not all sleep. He says, but we shall all be changed. What does he mean? He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so, those of us who are living on the earth, when the rapture takes place, we bypass death, immediately will be changed, 
taken by force, caught up into the air to meet the Lord there, and we'll be with Him. In that moment, we'll be given our resurrected bodies. Now, before I say too much about that, in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is such a full passage. I want to just look at this beginning in verse 13. Because Paul is talking about the rapture here, and he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In other words, Paul is saying, here a lot of Christians have died in Thessalonica. And some of the Christians who are still living are concerned, and they're thinking, well, what happened to my mother? What happened to my father? Are they just dead? Are they just forever in a grave? Will I ever see them again? What's going on here? And they were grieving, and they had no hope of anything beyond the grave. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And so Paul is saying, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, then that means you believe Jesus has conquered death. That means you believe everybody who has Christ living in his or her heart has nothing to fear when it comes to death. There's life beyond the grave. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. Verse 16 is the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the Greek Bible, harpazo in the Latin Vulgate, rapto, here's our word, rapture, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, if you weren't saved, if you're not saved, this is a frightening experience. To think about a day when millions of people are going to leave this earth and you're going to be left down here without them. That is a frightening thing. But for those of us who are saved, Paul says, you shouldn't be frightened thinking about the rapture. You should be encouraged. In fact, he said, comfort one another with these words. And so the first question I want us to think about today is, What's going to happen at the rapture? There's going to be this shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel, presumably Michael, and the trumpet of God will sound. It's going to happen so quickly, quicker than I can snap my finger, quicker than you can blink your eyes. It's going to happen. What, what, is, what all is going to take place? The first thing that will happen is that bodies of saved people will come out of the grave. And that's what Paul was saying. He said the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so today a Christian dies. What do we do with that person? Well, we have a funeral for them. And then we take them to the cemetery. I did this on Friday twice. And I was at Grandview Cemetery, two chapel services, two burials at Grandview. And there I am under a tent, family sitting before me, the casket right here. And I'm to say something to this family to encourage them. And that's exactly what I do from the Word of God. I can remember back in 1993, my grandfather on my mother's side died. First grandparent I had lost. And so our family flew to Atlanta for his funeral service and there we were in that church there in Georgia and the pastor said during the service to those of us in the family he said now Mr. Webb was a Christian man we all know that and so your family has nothing to worry about he is in heaven today 
and it brought us great comfort. We went to the cemetery, and there we are with my grandfather's body inside that casket. Same pastor said this. He said, now we're going to put Mr. Webb's body in this grave, but you have nothing to worry about. One day his body's coming up out of this grave. And I thought, well, now which is it? Back at the church, you said he's already in heaven, and now you're saying one day he will be. Where is he now? Well, the pastor was right both places. When my grandfather died, what happened? His spirit, his soul, came immediately out of his body, and it went to be with God in heaven. I want to make a distinction today between the body and the spirit. The body is our outer man. It's the part of me that you can see. You look up here and see my body. I look out there and see your body. But inside of your body and inside of mine, there is an eternal, immortal soul. Bodies die, souls never die. Bodies are mortal, souls are immortal. Bodies are temporary, souls are eternal. And when the body dies, what does the soul do? The soul slips right out of that body. And the soul goes to heaven to be with God. That's why the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let's say that together. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You say, well, what's your grandfather look like now? Is he some disembodied spirit floating around? No, he's not. Jesus taught us in a parable in Luke 16 that my grandfather and all of our loved ones who've gone on to heaven who were saved, right now they have a new body. It is a recognizable body. My grandfather can recognize my grandmother and vice versa. And if I were to die today and go to heaven, I'd get a recognizable body and they could recognize me and I could recognize them. And so my grandparents are not just floating around up there in heaven. They've got a body and they, their face is recognizable. But one day at the rapture of the church, when there's a shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet sounds, Jesus will leave heaven. He will come to the air and he will bring with him all four of my grandparents and all of our loved ones who are there now. And in that moment, their bodies will come out of the grave. Their bodies will be reunited with their souls. And then they will have their resurrected body. And so right now, my grandfather is in a recognizable body, but at the rapture of the church, he will receive his resurrected body. The only person in heaven who has a resurrected body right now is Jesus. Everybody else up there has a recognizable body, but it's not their permanent and final body. But at the rapture, it will be. And as soon as that happens, the Bible says those of us who are saved, we're going to go up and meet them in the air, and we'll get our resurrected body. So that's why Paul said, we shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. And so if the rapture were to take place right now while I'm preaching, what would happen? Me and everybody else in this room who is saved would be caught up by force, and we would be given our resurrected body just like that. Now, the rapture of the church is letter A of the second coming, and it's, we're going to meet the Lord in the air, and then he will take us right up to heaven for seven years. At the end of the seven years, when, the when Jesus gets ready to end the tribulation, we'll, he'll leave heaven again. We'll follow him out of heaven. The battle of Armageddon will happen. And Jesus will, the Bible says in Zechariah 14, set his feet on the Mount of Olives. Remember, at the rapture, his feet don't come to the earth. He's only coming to the air. But on the second coming to the earth, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. The mountain will split. He'll set up his kingdom and we'll be with him forever. But the thing today we're thinking about is the rapture of the church. And so the, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. Friend, I want you to know that loved one that you have lost, their body may be in a grave, but their soul, their spirit is alive in heaven with God today. And so this is a wonderful thing. In fact, I was interested to learn as I was studying for this sermon 
Back in Bible times, the word that they would use for a cemetery, in fact, we get our English word cemetery from this Greek word, koimaterion, koimaterion, and it literally means a sleeping place, a sleeping place. Sometimes they would use that same word, koimaterion, for an inn or for a motel, and somebody would go and they would say, this is a sleeping place, and you can come here and sleep through the night. You'll wake up in the morning and you'll feel refreshed. And then you can go. And so our word cemetery comes from that word. What does this mean? It means that my grandfather's body is in the ground. We could say it's sleeping in the ground. But my grandfather is in heaven. He's alive. He's with Jesus in a recognizable body, better than he's ever been. And one of these days, we will be reunited together. Now, you say, John, this thing about the rapture of the church, are you sure just maybe not everybody's going to... Wouldn't it just be better if everybody got to go up and people weren't left behind? Well, whether it would be better or not, it's for you to decide, but that's not how it's going to happen. The only people gonna, that will be caught up are the people who have been saved. Let me use this illustration to help you determine whether you're going to be caught up. If I were to take several minerals today and just pour them out on this platform, some gold, some uh, silver, some copper, some zinc, some iron, just little fragments of these pieces and just kind of scatter it around and mix it all up on this stage up here today on this platform. And then I had some kind of a, of a, of a magnet, some kind of a metal detector, magnet detector, and I, I put that magnet over all those different particles. Here's the question. Which particles would rise? Well, of the ones I mentioned, the only particles that would rise would be the particles made of iron because the iron is the only thing that has the same nature as the magnet. You run a magnet over iron, the iron rises. It has the same nature as the magnet. It's the same at the rapture of the church. Those who are going to rise on that day are those who have the nature of Jesus Christ living in them. In other words, when Jesus leaves heaven and comes to the air, if we're going to rise, we have to have his nature living in us. That's, that's a good way to determine whether or not you're saved. Do you have the nature of Jesus Christ living in you? Have you been saved? Have you been forgiven? Do you hate the sin you used to love and love the things that you used to hate? And so if we have that nature, we'll be caught up and we will be with the Lord forever, just like that iron would meet that magnet. Now, here's a good question. Why, did, why is there going to be a rapture? Why not just forego letter A of the second coming and just let Christians go through the tribulation and then at the end uh, they'll be the coming back? Well, first of all, by doing it the way he has done it, God has shown a tremendous amount of grace to his children because the Scripture is clear in my understanding of Scripture, that Christian people will not go through the tribulation. And there are several verses I could show you, but in chapter number 3, I want you to look in verse number 10, because this is one reference here where Jesus is talking to Christians, and he's also referring to the future tribulation period. And notice what he says. Because you have kept my command to persevere... I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so Jesus is saying that he's going to keep us from the trial. He's going to keep us from the tribulation. And that another place Paul said that we have been spared from the wrath 
that is to come on this earth. And so God has designed the rapture to get us out of here before the tribulation period begins, which leads us to another interesting question. And we're going to get into this about three weeks from today when we start the period of, uh, of tribulation in our study. What is the purpose of the great tribulation? And let me just say now, the purpose of the great tribulation is not to see how much Christians can take. You know, sometimes we feel like God is testing us or trying us, and He is doing those things. But the, the nature of the tribulation is not to put us through a test to see how much we can take. The purpose of the tribulation is to give unsaved people a final chance to get saved before the world completely comes to an end. And so that's the purpose of it, and that helps us understand why the rapture would be here, because the rapture is going to get us out of here now. As I was working on this sermon last week, especially yesterday, and I was thinking about all the people who would be in both of the morning services today, I'm very much aware that most of the people, maybe 90%, maybe more than that, listening to this sermon today are already saved. And if, you, if the rapture happened today, you've got the nature of Jesus living in you, you're going to rise up and meet Jesus in the air, and I would too. But I fully believe that there are people in both services today and others listening to this who have never been saved, they've never made peace with God, and if the rapture took place today, they would be left behind and to experience agony like unto which the world has never known. And so as I come to the end of my thoughts today, I want to just say a couple of things to those of you here today who are unsaved. And maybe you don't even believe in Jesus at all or maybe you do believe in Jesus and you believe in the Bible but there's never been a time in your life when you have personally received Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior and so it's to it's to those of you in that group today that I want to draw your attention to something first of all now go back to Revelation chapter 4 I want to draw your attention today to the fact that as we are gathered here in this worship center today in heaven, there is an open door. Now look again in verse 1. John said, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. That says to me that heaven has a door to it, at least one door, and there's only one door to heaven, and that door is open today. So that is, that's good news. And that says today that anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Anybody who wants to be caught up in the rapture can be caught up in the rapture. The door to heaven is an open door. Second thing I would draw your attention to today, and you may never have thought about it like, quite like this, but it's true. And that is God is offering you or extending to you a personal invitation to come to that door and to walk through that door, Jesus is the door, and you can go into heaven. Again, in verse 1, it says, And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place. And so John was invited into heaven. He was invited to walk through that door. And that same invitation today is being extended to everybody listening to this message. Jesus, you know one of Jesus' favorite words, come he said, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said another place, the person who comes to me, 
I will in no wise cast out. At the end of the book of Revelation, we read this invitation. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Why do we give an invitation at the end of our services? To give people an opportunity to come to Jesus. You're not joining a church. You're not joining a denomination. You're not signing off on some creed. You're not signing up. No. When, when you come to get saved, you are coming to a person. Friends, salvation is not found in a church. Salvation is not found in a creed. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is His nature living in us that changes us and that puts us in position to be caught up to rise when that trumpet sounds and when the rapture of the church takes place. So I'm saying to you today, God is offering to you through His Word and right now through me an invitation to come to Jesus. Here's the question. Have you ever been to Jesus? Not have you joined a church or even been baptized. Not, not have you been to the confession booth or confessed your sins to some other minister. But have you ever been to Jesus Christ? Salvation is found in Jesus and in Him alone. The Bible says there's no other name given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. And if you will come to Him, you can be saved. I'm saying to you today, you have a personal invitation from God and a promise with that invitation that if you will come to Him, He will save you. What am I saying? I'm saying the door to heaven is open. I'm saying you have an invitation from Jesus to come and to be saved. But I'm also saying today that there's a limited amount of time for you to answer and respond to that invitation I think it's so easy to think well not today I'll maybe think about that and man this is my first time to even visit this church and you're talking to me about making a decision for Jesus Christ yes I am because you have no promise that you'll have another day like this this may be the last sermon you ever hear this may be the last sermon I ever preach and so for you today would be the time for you to come to Jesus Christ because the door will not be open forever Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 25 and it's a very picturesque parable and he talked about a group of people who had postponed getting right with God who has postponed being saved and one day Jesus described it like, like this basically Jesus was saying they came to the door of heaven because finally they decided they wanted to go into heaven but when they got to the door they found that the door was shut and they began to knock on that door and they began to beat on that door and they said Lord please open the door for us and God said Depart from me, I never knew you. What was God saying? God was saying it was, it's too late. That door was open for a long time. That door's been open all your life. You had ample invitation, ample opportunities to walk through that door. You put it off, you put it off, you put it off. And now the door is shut. And now it is too late for you to walk through. And so to those of you here today who would say, John, this thing's not comforting to me. This thing's frightening to me. Thinking about an event where I could be driving down Interstate 45 to work and a bunch of cars just become unmanned and they're just rolling along that way. Some of you are thinking 45 is frightening enough if there are drivers in all those cars. But imagine it where there are no drivers in those cars. Well, if you're not saved, it's not comforting. It is frightening. And I totally understand that. And God understands that. But God doesn't want you to be afraid. God wants you to be ready. And God doesn't want you to put it off and try to get ready. God wants you to be ready now. So when the time comes that you will be ready. Now you still listen and say amen. I told you a few weeks ago that one of the books I'm reading in preparing these sermons is a book called The Book of Signs from a man named David Jeremiah, a great pastor in San Diego, California. 
And in the book, he tells a story how back in 2005, the city leaders got together and they said, we've got to come up with some kind of plan to help the people living in San Diego if there's a wildfire because they have lots of fires in California. And so they came up with something that was probably pretty cutting edge back in 2005. They came up with a thing called Reverse 911. Now, we all know what 911 is. If you're home and you have an emergency, pick up the phone, call 911, and somebody helps you. You're in trouble, and you call for help, and you get help. Reverse 911 says, we need to have a plan in place so if there's a fire in the general vicinity of where people live, we don't wait for the people to call us. We call the people because they may not even know there's a fire. And we tell them there's a fire three miles, five miles, ten miles from your house. And we think it would be wise for you to evacuate because that fire is headed in your direction. And so they put that in, play, in place. In 2007, San Diego had a massive, massive fire. Thousands of homes were lost. Many lost their lives. And it's interesting when the reverse 911, after the plan had been put in place two years earlier, now it goes into effect. It's interesting what happened to the residents of San Diego. First of all, there were many residents who had never registered for reverse 911. They never got a call. They never heard a call because they never had registered. There were other people who received a call but they looked at their phone and they didn't recognize the number. And since they didn't recognize the number, they didn't answer the call. There were other people who got the call, answered the call, were told to evacuate, but made a decision not to evacuate. They said, you know, that fire, it's, our neighborhood's never had any fire. It's never gotten this far. We're too, there's no way that fire could get to us. And those who got the call and refused to evacuate lost their lives as I was thinking about that story and thinking about the rapture of the church I think we could say it this way what God is doing today through this sermon is he is issuing a reverse 911 call what God is saying is there's a fire coming to this earth this earth is going to go through things that has, has never happened before and could never happen again because after it happens, the earth, as you know, it will be gone. It will be completely destroyed. But what Jesus is saying is, before the fire falls, before that happens, prepare yourself to evacuate. Prepare yourself so that when the trumpet sounds, you can be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You know, as I think about what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians when he described the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. I think the most in intriguing of that trilogy of sounds to me is the shout. Because in that verse it says, the Lord himself will descend with a shout. Now you go home today if you want to do something interesting and take your Bible books off the shelf if you have some or look it up online and try to determine... Whose shout is that? The voice of the archangel, that would most likely be Michael. He's the only archangel mentioned in the Bible. The trumpet of God, we understand that. But when it says, the Lord himself will descend with a shout, whose shout is it? Most Bible scholars, maybe not all, most Bible scholars say that shout 
is coming from Jesus Christ himself. And I'm in that group. I believe that. Remember, Jesus is the one who went to Lazarus' tomb, and he called Lazarus' name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had the nature of Jesus in him, when Lazarus heard that voice, he came out of that grave. Somebody has said, had Jesus not called Lazarus by name, the whole cemetery would have come up out of the grave like that. But he called Lazarus' name to specify it was for him. I believe when it says the Lord himself will descend with a shout, that's talking about the voice of Jesus himself. And as I was thinking about that yesterday, I thought, you know, here's the bottom line. The people who will recognize the voice of Jesus at the rapture of the church are the people who have recognized the voice of Jesus down here on earth. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What I'm saying today is this. If you are one of those who is able to hear the voice of Jesus, if you know when God speaks, you recognize the voice of Jesus on that day when that trumpet sounds, when, when Michael the archangel makes a sound, and when Jesus himself speaks the word, you're going to recognize that voice because it's a voice you've known ever since you got saved. It's the voice of Jesus Christ, the one who's living in your heart. Remember this, if his nature is in you, when he gives that shout, you're going to rise to meet him because you have his nature. And just like iron coming up to meet a magnet, you're going to rise to meet Jesus in the air. And that's why Paul said, comfort one another with these words. Amen. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, those of us who are saved, this is something we wish would happen today. I wish it would have happened yesterday or last week or 10 years ago. I mean, I just wish it would. I wish I was already in heaven. And yet, I know there's a reason that I'm not there yet because there's work to do on the earth and it's the same for you. And yet, the thought of Jesus coming back, that doesn't frighten me. It used to frighten me, but not now. It comforts me and excites me and it makes me think, God, you, come, you could come today and every problem we have would be gone just like that and we would be with you forever. But for those here today who would say, John, I'm I'm not quite that comforted. I'm a little more frightened by that. I'm intimidated by that. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I've not registered for that. I've not made plans for evacuation. Friend, today you need to make those plans. You need to receive Christ. You need to do it now while the door to heaven is open. And if you'll pray this prayer, God will hear it and answer it. What did Jesus say? The person who comes to me, I'll never cast out. I'll receive you. I'll forgive you. I'll save you. Today can be your day. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. I trust you, Lord. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. Give me the courage during this next song, even though I know it'll be hard. Give me the courage to come down one of these aisles to share this with a minister so I will have confessed you openly and publicly before men. And Lord, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen.